Hello and welcome back to the Yeshua Judaism series of podcasts. We're continuing our discussion of Does Christianity Truly Follow Christ? And this will be part three. And so let's jump right into it. We ended off on the uh, the heading of lawlessness and iniquity. Excuse me, if you're following along in the written material. This is the heading, Lawlessness and Iniquity. So we'll start out, and I'll be quoting from, from Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 27. And I put a little stop sign graphic that I mentioned in the previous part, because this entire uh, segment of Scripture from the New Testament is referring to a future scenario that applied then and now. A scenario that, as Messiah was saying this, applied to the future after his death and resurrection. So again, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 27. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. A similar warning is found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 13. I'll be quoting from Luke chapter 13, verses 24 through 27. Now, what I just quoted, I quoted from the English Standard Version. I'll be quoting now from the King James Version. The reason I do that, I swap from version to version, is because I know different people prefer different versions, but they all basically say the same thing. So again, quoting from Luke chapter 13, verses 24 through 27 from the King James Version. And again, there's a stop sign graphic in the written material because, once again, this refers to a scenario that would apply after Yeshua's death and resurrection as much as it, as it applied then when he stated it. So, Luke 13, verses 24 through 27. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in, and it shall not be able, excuse me, and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up, and hath shut the door, and ye begin to stand without, and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know ye not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. 
Now note that verse 21 from the passages quoted just then from the Gospel of Matthew, that is from Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 shows the distinction between the Father in heaven while Yeshua was speaking from earth. Such distinction dominates New Testament passages, thus providing evidence that Messiah is not God. However, the primary point I wish to make regarding these verses is the strong pro-Torah message that Yeshua the Messiah is proclaiming. Now, a brief side note regarding the erroneous, horribly false, once saved, always saved, or eternal security belief that many people hold, unfortunately. Those who advance the extremely dangerous error of once saved, always saved, or eternal security, or similar doctrines, definitely have a problem with these verses, because it clearly implies that the ones who cried, Lord, Lord, have we not, etc., undeniably considered themselves to be saved. Verse 22 from the Gospel of Matthew leaves little doubt of this. And again, from Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. End quote. Obviously, those people consider themselves to be true followers of Christ, to be true Christians. The once-saved-always-saved crowd, or eternal security crowd, vainly attempt to extract themselves from these very clear words by proclaiming that since he said, I never knew you, they must have never actually been saved. Those same people avoid the clear definitions in the New Testament of what it truly means to know. God and Messiah, as they completely ignore the context. The definition of knowing God, and therefore knowing his, his anointed one, Yeshua the Messiah, is found in the first epistle of John. Reading from 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, and I'll be quoting from the NET Bible, the New English Translation. Again, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Now, by this we know that we have come to know God, if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I have come to know God, and yet does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in such a person. But whoever obeys His word, truly in this person the love of God has been perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. The one who says he resides in God ought himself to walk just as Jesus walked. Notice that. Walk just as Jesus or Yeshua walked. Now, transgression of the law or of Torah equals lawlessness. Undoubtedly, the just quoted passages from the first epistle of John show that to know God requires sincere effort to keep the commandments or teachings of God, that is, to keep the Torah. Those who refuse to do so, yet claim to know or believe in God, are liars and have no truth within them. The passages continue to directly state that following Christ, that is, walk as Jesus walked, demonstrates whether or not a person 
knows God. And by extension, whether or not that person actually knows and follows Messiah or Christ. Anyone who rebelliously refuses to revere the Torah or teachings does not know God and is not walking as Messiah walked. Upon Messiah's return, they will therefore be told, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity or lawlessness. Now, the New American Standard and others more appropriately translate the term as lawlessness, as I just stated. Since Torah is God's eternal law, the lawless are those who do not keep Torah. From the following verse, the point is further confirmed. And I'll be reading from 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, and this is from the New American Standard Bible, and then I'll follow that with a reading from the King James Version. First, the New American Standard Bible, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And then from the King James Version, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. The Greek word translated as lawlessness in the New American Standard Bible and as transgression of the law in the King James Version is the same word. That word is anomia or anomia and is shown from Strong's exhaustive concordance to be, and this is Strong's number 458 for those who, is, who are interested, anomia, that is legality or violation of law or the genitive case, wickedness. Number two, it could be iniquity. Number three, transgression of the law. Or number four, unrighteousness. So Strong's shows that word, Strong's exhaustive, exhaustive concordance, excuse me, shows that that word could refer to illegality or violation of the law, wickedness, iniquity, transgression of the law, or unrighteousness. Likewise, Thayer's Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament defines anomia as anomia. Number one, properly, the condition of one without law, either because ignorance of it or because of violating it. Number two, contempt and violation of the law. Number three, iniquity. Number four, wickedness. Now pay special attention to, from Thayer's Greek-English lexicon, that anomia means the condition of without law, either because the person is ignorant of it or because they are violating it. Or it can also mean it also means contempt for and violation of the law. It is very important to note the clear implications of the definition from Thayer's with the proper contextual term of Torah applied. The term anomia can literally be translated as the condition of being without Torah because the person is uninformed regarding it, which Christians and their leaders are, or because it is violated or transgressed, with which Christianity's leaders cause, or to have contempt for Torah, which Christianity's leaders teach Christians to have. Let me state this again. This is very important. The term anomia 
can literally be translated as the condition of being without Torah because the person is uninformed regarding it, which Christians and their leaders are, or because it is violated or transgressed, which Christianity's leaders cause, or to have contempt for Torah, which Christianity's leaders teach Christians to have. Contempt for Torah. This is precisely the same Greek word that is anomia, used in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, where we hear Yeshua say, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, or anomia. Nevertheless, Christianity displays unrepentant contempt for Torah. They display anomia. They teach anomia by brazenly teaching against the Torah. Christian leaders demonstrate and teach clear contempt for the Torah as they advance the foundational doctrine of Christianity that Torah is no longer in effect, that we are in the condition of without Torah. Therefore, Christianity's leaders promote the very ideology that Yeshua said will result in him saying to them upon his return, him saying to those who follow the anti-Torah teachings of Christianity, I never knew you. Depart from me. Christianity's leaders are literally promoting an ideology that will cause Yeshua, when he returns, to say, To those Christians who follow those leaders, I never knew you, depart from me. In case the obvious future reference was missed, allow me to direct your thoughts back to the verses. In both examples of gospel verses, we see Messiah directly and unambiguously referring to a future time when he will address those who promoted and embraced lawlessness iniquity, and Torahlessness, or an ideal or an anti-Torah mindset. Yeshua's negative opinion of such people at the fulfillment of this future scenario is very clearly displayed. Furthermore, note the contrast Messiah presents in Matthew's record between the wise man who hears and does and the unwise man who hears and does not do. Note, both of them hear, but one does Messiah's words, the other one does not do Messiah's words or teachings. Thus, even though Messiah unmistakably states that obedience to his teachings is required, Christianity nevertheless hears and does not do, thereby advocating unwise doctrines which directly oppose Messiah. Therefore, It is actually worse than the unwise example in the parable that Yeshua gave, since Christianity not only does not do Messiah's words, they go even further by openly rejecting and fervently teaching against his words. Now let's read from the Gospel of Matthew, verse 12, verses 30 through 32. Again, there's a stop sign. This is referring to a future scenario that applied not only then, but applies now after the death and resurrection of Yeshua. Again, Matthew chapter 12, 
verses 30 through 32, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven to people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Messiah makes it clear that you are either with Him or against Him. It is impossible to be with Messiah while teaching doctrine that is against His teachings. Christianity's anti-Torah teachings are effectively spitting in the face of Messiah and firmly against Him and His teachings. Sadly, Millions upon millions of Christians are therefore scattered in a world of lawlessness, of Torahlessness, a world of rebellion against God and Messiah, within which they are many of those who rebel. Messiah further warns against being a lawbreaker in the parable of the sower. Now we will be reading from Matthew chapter 13 verses 24 through 30, and verses 36 through 42. Again, reading from the English Standard Version. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you may root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. Now we're going to verse 36. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin, and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now notice I have a stop sign there, particularly with verse 41, where he says, again, the Son of Man will send, will send, he's talking of the future when he returns, 
will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. Remember what we said about Anomia? Torahless people, people who violate the Torah, people who have contempt for the Torah, will be gathered out of the kingdom and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As I suggested, Matthew chapter 13, verses 36 through 42, particularly verses 41 and 42, undeniably refer to a future time at Messiah's second coming, when the lawbreakers, that is, those who violate, oppose, or reject the Torah, will be thrown into a fiery furnace. We're not talking about civil laws or of worldly governments here, people. We're talking about those who oppose or reject God's eternal teachings, the Torah. In Matthew chapter 13, Yeshua is describing the time when he will send forth angels to gather the wicked out of his kingdom. Visiting the passage again, we read again Matthew chapter 13, verses 39 through 43. And this is from the New American Standard Version. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks, and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Here we have another instance of the use of the Greek term anomia. When he says those who commit lawlessness, that is the Torah violators, are among the people who are first, notice that, first gathered and cast into the furnace. Here and elsewhere, Messiah makes it clear that the wicked are gathered first before the righteous. A clear and irrefutable contradiction to the outrageously false and dangerous rapture theory. Of course, those clinging to the stupid, outrageous rapture belief do so because they want to and do not care that the person whom they worship as Christ proved the rapture to be a false doctrine. The kingdom of God will be on earth. A secondary point or a secondary important teaching relates to where the kingdom will be. Note, that the wicked are gathered out of, that is, out of his, out of God's kingdom. And the righteous who are not gathered will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom. Obviously, since the wicked and the righteous are right here on planet earth, where the angels are sent to gather, the kingdom from which the Torah violators are gathered is an earthly kingdom in which the righteous will shine forth. Matthew chapter 13, verse 49, further solidifies this truth as well as additional proof against the rapture. Again, Matthew chapter 39, verse 49. 
So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous. Here we have extremely clear passages where Yeshua specifically describes how those who are lawless, that is the violators of Torah, will be told to depart from his presence in Matthew chapter 7 verse 23 or gathered out of his kingdom in Matthew chapter 13 because their lawlessness, their willful opposition to Torah, by their willful opposition, they prove to have never known the Creator God. Yet, today in churches worldwide, the Torah is openly preached as abolished. Thus, Christianity is largely promoting doctrine that will result in the Lord's stern rebuke. Christian leaders are promoting a doctrine that will cause those who accept it to fail to know God. I will not dwell on it. However, the verses immediately following what we read earlier further condemn this as Yeshua describes how the wise man is the one who hears and acts upon the commandments whereas the foolish man hears but does not act upon them. There is more within the verses we have thus far covered that needs to be considered. It is a point that leaders of Christianity would particularly do well to consider, as well as anyone else who teaches that the Torah is not applicable to Christians. A profound warning against causing others to sin. Let us go back to focus on Matthew chapter 13, verses 41 through 42. In the written material, I used bold text to indicate the region of the verses that I wish to discuss. I will also include Matthew chapter 18, verses 6 and 7, to add clarity and support for the point I wish to make. To ensure that it is clearly shown, I will be using multiple translations the New American Standard Bible, the NET Bible, the English Standard Version, and the Amplified Bible. If those versions do not appeal to you, use whatever ones you wish. The same meaning is found in all of them. All right, first I'll be reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 41 and 42, and then I will follow with the Gospel of Matthew, verse eight, or excuse me, chapter eighteen, verses six and seven. Now, there's stop sign graphics shown in all these because it is obviously referring to a time when Yeshua spoke this. He was obviously referring to a time then and after his death and resurrection. And in other words, these passages refer to us today. So first. Matthew chapter 13, verse 41 through 42. And again, I'm going to be reading from four different versions. First, the NASB. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now from the NET translation. The Son of Man will send his angels, And they will gather from his kingdom everything that causes sin, as well as all lawbreakers. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
now from the English Standard Version. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And finally from the Amplified Bible. The Son of Man will send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of offense, that is, persons by whom others are drawn into error or sin, and all who do iniquity and act wickedly, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be weeping and wailing and grinding of teeth. Now reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 6 and 7, which again refer to us today as well as back then. First, the NASB version, the New American Standard Bible version. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks must come. But woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. Now from the NET translation. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a huge millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the open sea. Woe to the world because of stumbling blocks. It is necessary that stumbling blocks come. But woe to the person through whom they come. Next, the English Standard Version. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And finally, the Amplified Bible. But whoever causes... One of these little ones who believe in me, who, excuse me, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in and acknowledge and cleave to me to stumble in sin, that is, whoever entices him or hinders him in right conduct or thought, it would be better, more expedient and profitable or advantageous for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be sunk in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for such temptations to sin and influences to do wrong. It is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the person on whose account or by whom the temptation comes. And that ends the quotes from the Gospels. Here, I do not wish to focus upon the ones who reject Messiah's pro-Tor example, but instead I wish to focus on those who cause it to happen or who teach it. Note, it would also be wise for men and women to consider these verses as they decide how to clothe themselves. Immodesty, particularly among women today, is rampant. It is a pandemic plague. Women 
you need to think about this. By dressing immodestly, you are causing others to sin. You're bringing temptation to the minds of others. Read these verses, particularly from Matthew chapter 18. Stop dressing immodestly. Now continuing. In the written material, you may have noticed a lot of stop signs. It is because the words of Messiah that he spoke then, obviously they applied then, but they also apply now and in the future. All versions which I referenced have the same meaning, but the Amplified Bible most clearly describes the intention of Yeshua with its translation of, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in and acknowledge and cleave to me to stumble and sin, that is, who entices him or hinders him in right conduct or thought, end quote, pay particular attention to, quote, who hinders him in right conduct or thought, end quote. These verses present some of the most serious warnings found anywhere in the entire Bible. There may be other warnings equal in severity, but there are none that exceed it. And to whom does this extremely grave and serious warning apply? Well, it could apply to numerous specific issues, but for sure, it also applies to those who teach against following the pro-Torah example of Messiah. It teaches against those who promote an anti-Torah agenda. In fact, there is no more offense or cause to stumble than is the teaching that the example of Messiah should be ignored and that the eternal instructions from the eternal God are abolished and no longer in effect. Nothing is more likely to cause stumbling among Yeshua's followers. I need not address these verses in detail, since they speak for themselves in a most profound and fearful manner. Please heed Messiah's warning. Do not risk having to endure the fiery furnace of purification because you cause others to stumble by leading them into temptation or by supporting teachings that are against following Messiah's firm pro-Torah example. Okay, the warnings. It is time to pause and consider the warnings from Messiah. It would be prudent to pause and consider the, the gravity, the enormous importance of Messiah's warnings found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, Matthew chapter 13, verses 41 and 42, and Luke chapter 13, verse 27. Taken together they read. And then I'll first read from Matthew chapter 7, then Matthew thir- chapter 13, then Luke chapter 13. Quote, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness 
or Torahlessness, in chapter 13. The Son of Man will send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, those who violate Torah, and will throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And finally from Luke chapter 13. But he shall say, I tell you, I know not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. The primary point to grasp from those verses is this, and this is important. Messiah directly condemns in an undeniable future reference those who have contempt for and violation of the Torah and or who promote the condition of without Torah. Again, Messiah is directly condemning in an undeniable future reference all those who have contempt for Torah, who violate Torah, or or who promote a condition that there is no Torah. That is the standard teaching of Christianity, the anti-Torah teaching of Christianity. Messiah is directly condemning that. The passages quoted are direct statements from Yeshua the Messiah. Anyone who does not agree with them and who refuses to follow his pro-Torah teachings and example demonstrates a deliberate rejection of Christ, of Messiah. Though the precise same Greek word, anomia, is not used in the Luke chapter 13 verse 27 reference for the term of workers of iniquity, as shown in the King James. A very similar word is, is used. That Greek word is adikia. Among Thayer's Greek lexicon's definition of the word are, number one, a deed violating law, or Torah, and justice, and number two, an act of unrighteousness. Given the almost identical nature of the statements that we read earlier from the Gospels, we can be reasonably certain that the same meaning applies to all of them, that meaning being contempt and violation of Torah. So, Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, Matthew chapter 13, verse 41, and Luke chapter 13, verse 27, provide us crystal clear, common sense, unequivocal proof that Messiah vehemently opposes then, now, and in the future those who show contempt for his God's Torah, or law, the Torah that he, Messiah, perfectly obeyed from the God to whom he, Messiah, was perfectly devoted. How much evidence is needed to prove that Messiah personally and repeatedly condemns violation of God's eternal law, the Torah. Furthermore, if he condemns Torah violation, the condemnation is obviously even worse for those who openly and willfully teach that the Torah has been abolished. And of course, the passages from Matthew chapter 18, verses 6 and 7, which we discussed earlier, also need urgent consideration 
for reasons that should be obvious. The basic point to grasp is this. Yeshua the Messiah, or Jesus Christ if you prefer, absolutely, indisputably opposes the anti-Torah mindset of Christianity, since it is literally promoting an anti-Christ message. Antichrist is defined as against Christ, or opposite of Christ, or opposed to Christ, or a bogus Christ. Sadly, I realize that very few Christians heed Messiah's words, even when those words warn of extreme consequences for what a person may practice or believe. Most Christians, unfortunately, are happy with the freedom to be lawless, which Christianity's anti-Tor foundation provides. They have become spiritually dead beyond the reach of Messiah's teachings and example to the point that not even the most dreadful warnings found in Scripture spoken by Yeshua Messiah himself can affect them. Tragically, those warnings eventually will affect them in a painfully direct manner when what he warned about occurs upon his return. Now, at this point, I'm going to pause. We've exceeded 41 minutes and we'll pick up next time in part four. So join us again next time in part four, where we're discussing how Christianity teaches against following Christ. Thank you for listening, and goodbye.